Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead curator of Deeper Into Movies. We're a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I am joined by artist, filmmaker, musician, Bobak Ganji. Babs, as I call him, we've been friends for around five years. We share a lot of the same taste in music and movies. And he released these two books on Rough Trade Books called Film Ideas. And he keeps on coming up with these ridiculous film concepts and pitches. And every time he posts one on Instagram, I usually shoot him a DM with what director should be involved. So we'll get into that during the podcast. And he's also got a new short film out called Freelancer, which you can find on Vimeo, which... A lot of you guys out there are freelancers, so this film is so real. I urge you to check it out. Here is me and Bobak Ganji. Like a desktop mic stand or anything you can okay i can use this aloe vera plant like yeah that. perfect like that there I'll... we go <laughs> and i'll be down here um is zoom is zoom still one of those things that's on like an hour limit and then your time's up and you never speak again no i've got the premium zoom okay so we can go on forever yeah, this is going to be a two-parter. I've never had so many technical issues with a guest before. <laughs> I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to come up with things to say, just to fill up the fact that nothing's happening on this computer. This one's fine. It's just. It's just the suggestion of um. Some. I mean, it's suggesting that something's happening. So. So I think we're good. Uh, is that it though? Are we finished. We're done. It's been great talking to you, Babak. I really liked your new film. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. No worries. I mean, don't be distracted if I if I look like I'm um, talking into a plant. I don't want to break the plant, but I'm thinking if I could nudge it like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that works. That's a mic stand right there. It was worth it, wasn't it? And basically, it's worth it for the picture. That's how my. That's how everything I've ever done goes. This is quite apt. It's like just make the best out of mistakes. Yes. And now look yeah, at- that it is on brand. Everything so far has been really on brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's start at the beginning. What did you grow up watching, reading, and listening to? What things had a real effect on you? How, how far back are we going? Because it, it starts kind of embarrassing. Oh, maybe not. Let's go embarrassing, then kind of cool teen years where things kind of start the foundation of your i'm the older of two so so i didn't have any cool sibling that was passing on stuff to me i kind of raised myself on a lot of pop 
music. You know, like I was a big um, Wet 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 fan. In the in the um, popped in sold out in nineteen eighty seven before like Goodnight Girl and I was, I was quite old by then but I was still I was still buying those um, cassettes at the time I was still buying the cassettes out of loyalty like you know when you're a kid and you like something it's like even though you're changing you feel like you still there's still something there yeah it's like and it's weird when you're that age because. I think I was I got heavily into sort of like Nirvana, but then if I look at the dates for releases, it's like but I definitely had High on the Happy Side on cassette, so I was still sort of like buying those things. Um, but like as a as a sort of growing up in London, it was like it was a lot of um, you know your Kylie's, your Jason Donovan a bit like Rick. Yeah. I was big into Rick Astley. Does he have any other songs other than Never Gonna Give You Up? I mean, do you know the album Deep Cuts and things like that? I don't remember. I mean, I remember he had a Christmas number one with a Nat King Cole cover. Right. And he did have, like, there was definitely another song that came out after Never Gonna Give You Up, which, you know, because he wasn't a one hit. Because I've got two albums. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. But, but like the first album I ever bought was the Bruce Willis um, Return of Bruno. Oh my god. <laughs> so well, I, how how did you what informed that decision? How did you land on that record? I think probably the same as you. I always had a limited amount of pocket money or whatever. I had to make an informed decision on a cassette. This is way before Spotify when everything was available. So you really had to Oh yeah, this is nineteen. This is nineteen eighty six. Yeah, you've really got to weigh up your decisions. So how how did Bruno make the cut? My aunt lived with us as well when I was a. It's like even before my brother. So it was, I was like the only child, and and she used to watch Moonlighting, right? And Moonlight, and I I used to have my own little. So I used to hide between like this corner between the wall, like the and the and the corner where there was a space between the sofa and the wall, and I'd sort of like. This was like late night stuff, so I'd be pretending to be a grown up, also hiding in this little alcove, and um, just really like Moon. It's 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 sort of TV based. It was like I just mm-hmm. really liked that show, and I guess those conversations with being a bit young, not fully understanding it, but it's funny, but it's also a bit I don't know. I haven't seen it for years. I don't know how that show holds up. I remember the final episode being incredibly sort of meta, where they're sort of taking the the stage down as the Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd are still sort of working out what's going on, which in a way is quite an early sort of meta sort of introduction to this sort of weird meta Kaufman world that yeah. I sort of accidentally ended up living in. So how did you become cool? When did you get into <laughs> You're saying that wasn't cool. Any of that stuff. Had- oh, sorry, sorry. The mic broke up. When did you become cooler? When cooler. did how, or how did how did you gain? I'm always curious for people who don't have. I had a cool older brother who completely guided my way on indie rock, cool movies, and counterculture stuff. But I was wondering for those who didn't have that, how are you discovering like? Nirvana, Pavement, Sonic Youth, and indie movies and things like that? 
I mean, the Nirvana... I don't even know what it... I mean, it sounds lame to say. It was almost like it just sort of called me... It's like that... that what's the thing in Big that calls him over? The... The, 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 the tarot what? machine. Yeah. It was almost like... I remember just being in WH Smith and I used to start reading, like, Q and, like, music magazines. And I was already into movies. Like, I was already buying, like, Empire the whole yeah. time. It was like... Um, at the beginning so like i did i never had episode uh, issue one but i had issue two and so i would just read stuff all the time so i'd, I'd be aware of what things were but i always found nirvana because the cover and the sort of like kirk giving the finger in the on, on the back all a bit like i already knew that i wasn't cool enough so sort of i sort of put myself out of it it's like this isn't for me but it kept sort of like luring me back in and even when i first bought it it was one of those things where i didn't really get it but after a point i'd become addicted to having to listen to it all the time and it was always in my head and i was going by this point we'd moved from london to bournemouth and i was in like culturally it was completely different and we were like the only brown people in the in the town and kind of it did just become that cliche it it's my thing it's like he's my guy and would like avidly read anything he said, any magazine. Um, and I think that sort of pushed me out of trying to fit in because I was always like that kids in a group that's kind of getting taken the piss out of, but is happy to take it just to be in the gang. And then mm-hmm. slowly just sort of position myself out. And then I guess Nirvana was the gateway to all the other sort of alternative culture, be it film and music. Because it's that thing, it's like Nirvana led to Sonic Youth, Sonic Youth led to all this sort of New York stuff that was just in art and music and poetry. And at the time, like, I I can't, I guess a lot of it, I might have been pretending I liked, but it still exposed you to stuff. Yeah. What were you pretending you dug at the time? God. I mean, at the time, I was probably pretending I dug quite a lot of the sort of more experimental Sonic Youth stuff. Yeah. Because it was a weird time because I guess it was just like 1992. Like, Kim Gordon's voice, even on Dirty, would sound scary to me. It sounded like she was throwing up. I wasn't used to that. Um, now it's it doesn't sound anything like that. And it's strange. Like, I have a 15-year-old kid and it's... It's, none of that sounds weird to him. It doesn't sound alternative. It's just, it's almost like they're the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was forcing myself to to stick with it, basically. Yeah. Because what, what, what were my options? It was that or like, I mean, what, 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 to stop doing stuff. Yeah. I, I, I suppose you can't go back to Marty Pello after being exposed to Lee Ronaldo. No. Although, like, as, as I've got older, I have sort of, like, started buying all the um, Taylor Swift albums again and all of the... I have got sort of, like, a, a soft spot for, for pop. I love Taylor Swift. Unironically, I think she's... I was listening to you and Brett Easton Ellis doing a deep dive on Taylor Swift. Yeah. No, I think she's incredible. I'm really terrified that I'm not going to get tickets to her UK shows after the debacle of uh, American ticket releases. And I think people are going to be even more on it 
due to how impossible it was to get tickets for her US leg. How, how impossible was it? I don't, I don't I know. I think like Ticketmaster just like sold out in seconds or I don't know if people couldn't get access to Ticketmaster. I think she broke the system. Right. So I think it's just going to be one of those where... We need to just go back to sort of queuing, queuing at the kiosk. Like I, I, I miss those days when Star Green and Carnaby Street, no, Argyle Street was my place where they just had that ticket deck. Is that the one that was by Oxford Circus? Yeah. I think it's still there though, isn't it? Because it's still... No, so- it's, a, it's a news agent oh. now. It's gone. Oh. That, that was great. That was just like, they'd pull you off a ticket. Yeah. It was so or even if, if it was the real tiny gigs, like at the garage, it'd almost be like a dry cleaning receipt where they just write... Yeah. Like Bush at, at the garage, Tuesday, five pounds. And then just have a docket. And probably just have to tell the garage, yeah, we've sold 50 tickets or whatever. Simpler times. When I, when I went to St. Martin's, it was it was by the Astoria. So you just used to go from, from like a lesson, just go buy the tickets from the box office. And it was such, a, such an exciting thing to be able to do and be so close to it to venues anyway um i really missed your story as well i never feel like things were going to sell out i never was super worried that i wasn't going to get a ticket for anything really no even i don't know even when because i watched the oasis nebworth documentary and everyone was saying oh my god it was so stressful trying to get a ticket and i was like really i called up like 20 days after it was announced after I just convinced my parents to let me go and I just got a ticket. I don't know. I know I never really panicked that much. I think Oasis at Nebworth. No, Oasis at Earl's Court. I was a little bit stressed because I was on hold for ages, but usually you just be like, go to Star Green in a few weeks and pick up a ticket or whenever you have uh, 10 quid in your pocket, just go and grab something. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I look back and I, I, I did manage to, get one of those Nirvana tickets at the time that that never happened at Brixton. For Brixton, yeah. And looking back now, it's like, that seems mad because it might have been three or four days because I was still still negotiating because we didn't live in London and still trying to negotiate with my parents if I could go. Kind of being being a sort of dorky teenager, being quite scared of it, just being in Brixton. Like my, my, my mental image of what Brixton was and what I'd be walking into in the mid nineties um, was scary in itself, but it's like managed to manage to finally get a ticket. Obviously it didn't, it didn't happen, but um, that was like four days, four days into them being announced, which I, I yeah. now wouldn't happen. No. Well, I think if you, if you've got to physically go somewhere to grab a ticket or stay on hold for half an hour with your credit card, it kind of, if you if you had to physically go, how how early would you start queuing up for Taylor Swift? Oh my god! Or, um, seven a.m. is my oh, on the day. On the day, okay. No, on the day, fuck that shit. Um, I couldn't do that. I I, I can't queue for stuff. I think that's crazy. I don't like queuing for food. I I got a half hour wait on any restaurant max. If I say we can get your table in half an hour, 
Mm. I thought you meant if I had to go to Style Green like the old days to get a ticket, I, I, I'd go there at 7 a.m. Okay. But I imagine if, when you get there at 7 a.m., there'd be like a thousand people there. A thousand Swifties. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll just have to. But I noticed that like in, in your, in your talking to Brett Easton Ellis, no one, no one ever mentioned 1989, which is like, which was my um, entry into the... Oh, that's a great. I think Wildest Dreams and Style are incredible from that record. Those are my deep cuts that I really keep coming back to. It sounds like, you know, going back to sounding really cool, it literally does make me feel like I'm in some sort of rom-com, empowering rom-com, if I walk up <laughs> and listen to that record. Yes, I yeah. Think to New York, so I think I'm Sarah Jessica Parker, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a change today. Yeah. So I stopped having to listen to it on those walks because... Is this uh, too empowering? It was too, uh, yeah, uh, over, overly empowering. Say, so before you went to Goldsmiths... I went to Sex Pistols. My bad, yes. CSM. Before, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to be in a band? Did you want to be an artist? Did you want to make movies? I always had, like, as a kid, I, I used to write... It's like this weird thing. It's like this self-editing I used to do with myself so like I, I wrote like my first script when i was like nine and i think it was based on that um do you remember mask the tv show yeah so it was kind of like i think it was based on that and i don't i don't have it i don't remember it all i know is that i thought it would be really cool if it was really long so i know it was about 34 pages i just kept writing stuff and it was because at the time i knew that i i was too shy to act and I was also too mild-mannered, even at nine, to know that I'd never want to be able to tell anybody what to do. So directing was out, so I could just write. So I always wanted to be in the film from early on, but I very much as a teenager, it was like I was art was the only thing I was good at, really. I wasn't like kind of, I was academic enough, but... Um, you saw me try and work things out here. I, I, there's not, there's not much chance for me unless this works out. Um, yeah. <laughs> thanks for agreeing. <laughs> okay. Um, but I very much went to St. Martin's thinking this is where I'm gonna, um, find my band and like, you know, common people had come out <laughs> referencing St. Martin's. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to St. Martin's. This is where Jarvis did it. This is where I'll do it too. Weirdly, my my sort of class was predominantly like older. I'd gone straight from A-levels, but everyone else was a bit older and actually dared to do the art, not join bands. So I did spend 10 years in bands, but that happened like after a few years working at the Curzon Soho around the corner from St. Martin's. So, And it turned out I was quite good at the art bit, so it all worked out. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mubi. Mubi is a creative streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. And did you know Mubi has a magazine? 
Mubi just sent me the new issue of Notebook. It's called Notebook. And firstly, I got to say, the paper smells so good. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when you get like a new book or a magazine that has that nice recycled paper and it just smells really good? Like all things Mubi does, it's super nicely designed. It's got a great aesthetic and the contents are great too. There was a feature on Park Chan-wook, which I really liked, and a really great feature on Michelangelo Antonioni. And here's the deal. The magazine comes out twice a year, so you can subscribe now to receive the next two issues of Notebook for £30 at movie.com forward slash magazine. And all the magazine subscribers get a free gift. I love free stuff. So go check it out for yourself. Go to movie.com forward slash magazine and keep printed matter and especially film magazines alive. Go do it. Big man is me, but I, I I say that with trepidation in case that one person that's still out to get me. Um, how long has it been? It's my, maybe it's been like eight nine years ago. I I sold a lot of things on eBay, uh, particularly sort of desperate, financially desperate time. Again, it's like just dropping bits of fiction into real life. It's always trying to make things happen out of nothing. And I think because I live in a sort of relatively fancy neighborhood, I bought a and I was trying to be a healthy person. I'd spent all of the money I had on this sort of goat's cheese and beetroot sandwich um, and sat in the square to eat it. And I didn't it was it was beetroot to goat's cheese ratio was the one sound incredibly middle class. But that's what happens. It's too much beetroot. And um, I just wanted to. I guess I just wanted to make back the um, five pounds or whatever it was at the time I'd spent on this um, only thing I was probably going to eat that day. And it's like, you know, it's a relatively fancy neighborhood. I picked up some sticks and, and well, twigs from around. And at the time, like I had a son that was quite young. So, so like every now and again, he'd pick up, like he'd be playing with these things and he'd give them to me to look after because suddenly this twig's become a, you know, it's, it's got some value somehow, yeah. somehow place the value on it that the other ones don't have. So I'd like come home and find all these bits of the park in my pocket. So I tried to sell them as a set of like kids toys or I didn't package them, but I measured them all. I gave them description. I kind of referenced the spice girls as if, cause I thought maybe like if they're a set, but they're all different. Um, did the description, did the measuring. And it's that weird thing that happens when you drop these things into the world where, as far as I can tell, the way it works is a friend, Ed, who was booking at the Old Blue Last at the time, bid on it, 
under somebody else's name who'd just gone to the loo in the old blue office as a joke or something. And basically, at some point in the evening, there'd been like three bids and it was on about six pounds or it'd gone up to 11. Something sort of modest but funny enough for a bit of nonsense. But then that night I, I, I'd gone to a gig and and then I, I hadn't noticed that I was getting constant questions about this um this thing because it had ended up I don't know in the metro I think it was the metro paper and uh, like within 24 hours it was on like there were like 500 people watching it and there were two to three thousand views overnight it had gone up to like 70 pounds five live phone me in the morning asking if I was twig man at the time I said at the time I said no because I thought oh my god I've been doing work for like you know 15 16 years and i maybe was guilty of taking myself too seriously and suddenly being like i don't want to be known as the twig man i'm not it's like not a joke even though everything i'm doing is a joke it's like um so i turned it down or i didn't sound interested enough and i didn't get on and but it was it was you know people would stop me in the street and be like how much is it going for it's like 69 pounds wow it was like i mean and it's almost like a slightly more innocent time i think this stuff happens all the time now um at the time when i did it i already felt like i was ripping off the guy who was selling an air guitar on ebay because i thought that was the funniest thing (laughs) um but the air guitar you couldn't have you could physically have my my twigs Mm -hmm. and it was like all of my art like sort of training I guess came through that because I had these five twigs that were in the corner of my room and then the next day they were sort of like valued at about 60 pounds and it's like it's these twigs that are valued at 60 pounds not some other I can't just go and pick some other ones up and um it's like they suddenly had this sort of they look different Mm -hmm. I just stuck them in this like I had this spongebob tin and I stuck them in that and it was like I need to protect these because these are now actually a thing um but then it spiraled into a lesson in everything because like the next day somebody was selling twigs from Cardiff and they were selling for a fiver. And because mine had got so big, like, I mean, I've, I've been talking about this for way too long, but I, I get passionate about it because ultimately the person who bought it just like instantly messaged me saying, please tell me this is a joke. And it was like, but this, it's not funny if it's um, not real. It's like, otherwise, why didn't you bid like 20 billion pounds? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. And it's like that thing where it's like, it's only funny if it's real. Everything has to come from a true place. So I didn't push the sale on her and she didn't ultimately buy it because I started getting messages from some other man who said he was going to come with some special measuring device and make sure it was all legit. And I'd started to hear that, like, people in the pub were saying that people were asking if the twig man's been around. And I almost felt like I was in no country for old men, where it's like, I've got somebody, ch- there's somebody, somebody, <laughs> somebody's around looking for me, and I don't know what they look like. And I didn't mean any harm. Um, and in the end, I did sell them in the end to a friend, but... Um, yeah, ultimately that that ended in a disappointing, um, just disappointing. 
But people just didn't seem to understand how the principles of eBay. Like I sold like an unused lottery ticket and I got a complaint because I hadn't sent it, but they never paid for it. And they said, oh, we thought, they just said, oh, I thought it was a joke. And it's like, well, it's a joke, but you still have to pay for it. I'm not just sending lottery tickets out. Well, how does that work? No, that's true. The whole point was, like, I've bought this ticket. It might be my lucky ticket, but I'm willing to sell you my lucky ticket. And then, you know, because chances are, if you buy it off me, you'll definitely win because that would be my bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> but but they, they just expect me to just buy tickets and send them out. I just didn't. I didn't. I think that's what I was getting at when I was talking about your belief in commitment or what you project onto the item. Yeah. I think it's almost like the story comes from the action. Yeah. And you have to go through with it to see where it goes. And and that's not always a happy, it's not always a happy ending. And and the weird thing is like, you know, I used to, at the time it was like, yeah, I'm not Twig Man. But now every now and again, secretly, I always be like nudging people going, oh, I, I, I was Twig Man. Because people... <laughs> Did anyone ever buy your painting of your credit card with your credit card debt on it? They did, but not not Barclays like I was hoping. No, you have a whole thing of talking to customer service agents. Well, I, I used to. They they started to get a bit more um, savvy with it, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I did I did try and um, sell back my credit card debt in the form of a painting of the credit card to Barclays. You just have to ask if you can speak to the art department. They don't have one, but um, it, it it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, I don't really think a bank would display corporate art of a debt. No, but my argument was that by buying <laughs> it off me, it's now it's, it's at, at the debt. Yeah, but, but 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 then you're opening the flood floodgates of people trying to set, <laughs> clear their debts by selling art back to the bank. I know. It was, uh, I, I think I had, would have had to stipulate this was a one-time it's, deal, and no, no. <laughs> this is a one-time <laughs> deal exclusive only to it's me. It's the kind yeah. of thing you do when you're just trying to get by. I, I don't do that anymore. Has there ever been been a moment where you're deep into a a concept like selling back your credit card painting to clear a debt, and then realizing I'm literally just wasting my time doing this? I mean, I, I think I might wake up thinking I'm literally wasting my time every day. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm still unsure as to what what is what is going on and what, if I'm doing anything correctly. Um, I say that myself that I do find myself going down these deep rabbit holes or quests or small details of part of my night of an event or something. Then I realize I'm just. Yeah, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I spending spending my time doing more important things or better things or more productive things that are gonna pay my bills? Then after twenty years of doing these things and sort of like I'm doing okay now, I sort of get by and make a living. It's almost like the imposter syndrome's got kicked in really hard. Where it's like, oh, it works. the more successful you get, the more the imposter syndrome will heighten. I find, or I think this is or. If anyone ever says to me, as I'm sure they said to you, like, dude, you're doing great. You know, I, I, I saw this on Insta or I saw you were doing this. You had this ex- exhibition or you were selling that. The right answer should just be, 
thank you that's really nice but i always get but yeah but is it, is it gonna last is it gonna yeah I don't it's know. going it's going too well or everything's gonna dry up and netflix is gonna take over the world and yeah i'm gonna be redundant obsolete i'm guilty of replying in almost the same way because i'm so waiting for it to happen like because it, it's almost like I don't know. It's like I, I plan for a lot of things, but I never plan for it to work. I never plan for success. Yeah. But I've realized also that it's actually like it's, it is good to say, oh, yeah, it's going all right, because it's also gives some hope to people coming through that if you do stick it out. Yeah, it could work. It just might take a really long time. That's the lesson. And like, that's what I should be telling people, not being like, oh, yeah, thanks, but it's not going to last. I'll, I'll be gone soon. Yeah. Or my other one is when people say, hey, you're doing really well. I then go to, yeah, but imagine if I didn't do this. And then I play back for three random steps that started deeper into movies where literally my pal put a post on Facebook saying, I used to, he used to do the movie nights of Alibi. Couldn't do anymore wanted someone to take over and if so if i didn't reply to a random facebook advert for someone saying oh, is that your sales agent calling no, it, was, it was no cool okay. it was no okay. cool so yeah i think if i didn't reply to that random facebook ad or see that ad for the nichest job ever of do you want to program films on a vhs in a dive bar in dawson on a monday night none of this would have started yeah so I, I i then i go into some almost like back to the future when he's looking at the different how his his parents life would have played out in the different scenarios of what would the scenario be if i hadn't responded to that ad obviously i've never really dared think too hard about that because but this is my point with the with the um, with almost all my art successes down to somebody else suggesting something or or passing it on it's like I've done the work but there's something there's all these other variables that got it like even like I was just saying with the twigs it was Ed who um, decided to bid on it at a reasonably funny but modest amount that made it yeah. as, sitting there on zero it's nothing it's like somebody else has done something and then it spiraled and I just I was just step one but then I have to remember that well we've both been doing this thing for a long time and we have our knowledge and our certain skills that mean that it carries on yeah if all I was was a twig collector I'm pretty sure I'd be finished now twigs aren't doing so well yeah I think it's kind of uh Malcolm Gladwell theory what's the number again is it how many hours is it Hundred thousand hours? It's a hundred thousand. And I read that book and I, I think too late. Or I or read enough of it. I thought, yeah, I get the gist. I mean the gist is that sentence, <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't need to read the book. You need you need to save those hours to do the thing that you're gonna need to get on with. One thousand hours. It's not no, one thousand. Is that it? Ten thousand hours is the rule. Ten thousand. Asserting the key to achieving true expertise in any skill is simpler is simply a matter of practicing. Ten thousand hours. Oh. 
But that's achievable. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a I Well, what I, is a hundred thousand hours in that's you said you're now saying a hundred. Is it a hundred? No, or... I, my original thing was a hundred thousand, which is just ridiculous. That's why I was always in a panic. Have I misread an extra zero? And, and <laughs> You've been putting in too much work. And limited myself. Like, I just didn't do them because I thought, well, I'm not going to have enough time. Someone's probably going to message me now and say, you do realize like 100,000 hours is like it was 100, 50 years or something. So, yeah. I thought you had to do it intensely for a very long time because ultimately it was like, well, yeah, of course. That wasn't like a big, I wouldn't have had to spend years researching that theory. No, you used to be out collecting twigs. And I've never known exactly what it is I do, but I guess I'm doing it and now it's going, and it's taken the sort of 20 odd years and now it's sort of falling into place. Yeah, we, we've said that one of the hardest parts of what you do is if someone says, what do you do? And I say, I'm a film curator or... I own my own business or whatever. It sounds so lofty and grand that you really, it's hard to accept or say it with belief. I have started saying. You're an artist. An artist. I do, I don't know why, some part of me still sort of slightly cringes at saying it, but I, I think maybe because the last time I had to say it, I didn't think about it. I did actually just say it. And I was like, oh yeah. God, it just came out of my mouth. Because yeah. in the past I'd always like say, Oh, I work at the old blue last, but I also do this. Yeah, I always have to throw in the butt. I always answered it with like how people ask, like as if they're asking, how do you make your rent? And I go, well, I make my rent by doing this. And it's almost like, it's like Kurt Cobain thing. It's like that weird thing where it's like, it was like Kurt Cobain ultimately was a sort of millionaire rock star who blew his brains out at 27 years old. And now I'm like this 44-year-old man who's still operating under the principles that he... I'd, I'd been learning off him when he was essentially a 21 year old. Um, <laughs> didn't listen, basically killed. Like it didn't, you know, he didn't listen to his own. Well, I don't know what I'm following, what I'm following, but I'm still going on this sort of anti-corporate stance, but like, it's not cool to be trying to borrow money off your mum when you're in your forties. <laughs> so it's like, you have to change. And, um, find your own way but I, and so i think sometimes when i say those things i feel it almost like at some point i felt like a bit of shame for for doing okay yeah I, I, the, the the job is to struggle so the most annoying thing about you that i've experienced in my friendship is at least once a month no matter what i'm programming you'll dm me and ask when is the jerk playing? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's any time you ask for suggestions for stuff because you won't ever listen to me. No, that's true. <laughs> there, there, there will be, if I ever put up, what's your favourite film of the year? Has anyone watched anything cool? The first DM I get is you saying the jerk. Yeah. Or the more lofty, or if I put on like a Nan Golden documentary, this is cool and everything, but when he's showing the jerk. Yeah. So I was hoping we can try and one, put this to bed, but two, let me have a better understanding of what's, what is so good about the jerk. Okay. So like last time, I think I played it to my son, Arthur, like 
a couple of years ago and it still holds up and it hasn't aged. I think in a comedy as well these days, it's like, it's quite a skill to, oh, it's not quite, I get it's a, is it a skill? It's basically like, I guess it was good natured enough and it didn't attack any sort of different types of people or anything. So it doesn't seem to, to it's okay. It's like, even films like Ghostbusters, when I was like playing things to Arthur, it's like the start of Ghostbusters, Bill Murray's a bit of a creepy guy. He keeps electrocuting the guy because he's sleazing on the girl. And tonally, it just doesn't feel right anymore. Whereas The Jerk, um, it's still just a really fun film as far as I can... I mean, there are connotations to my youth and um, just like, you know, when you see that thing for the first time, it's like, oh my God, this is everything. Yeah, for sure. Or you go, oh, I didn't know it could be like this. Yeah. is one is basically it's that movie i had two it's like in the cinema experience with back to the future when i was maybe like seven where like i don't think i'd really understood what like romance was or anything and it's a bit of a weird one because it turns out it's actually some essentially with his mum or it's like i think I was, yeah. more, I was more interested in him getting back to his actual girlfriend but the the romance in the film is with his mum but it was like Everything in that was like as a cinematic experience that was mental, and I think Jerk as a comedy was just like ultimately it it sort of set the tone of my personality <laughs> within within ninety minutes, and um, I still think it's really funny. Yeah, I really like Steve Martin. I'm obsessed with L.A. Story, which I think you like a lot as well. Yeah, I like LA Story. I still find him incredibly entertaining now. I mean, Only Murderers in the Building is great. Yeah, we, I like that. And, Me and too. While I'm on here, I mean, this is totally not the kind of um, hard hitting film stuff that that you you'd usually entertain. But like the Three Amigos. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. good, right? The Three Amigos. Yeah. is such a great film. And then, but it didn't do so well at the time. I mean, and I'm not worried about, like, when I was a kid, I used to really worry about um, when people like Tom Hanks got bad reviews for Joe versus the Volcano, I'd be worried for their livelihoods. Like, is he going to be all right? Is he yeah, I think that Tom's doing okay. I think he'll... Turns out they were, they were even doing fine when the reviews were bad. It wasn't... Yeah, the... they've got the check regardless, yeah. It wasn't reviews-based. Um, no. But the Three Amigos, like, I think critically, probably at the time, didn't do great, but it is. Who was it? Chevy Chase? Martin Short and Steve Martin. Strong squad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of peak SNL. Yeah. But then, then, like, years later, you get Galaxy Quest, which does get good reviews. And no one ever says this is literally the plot from Three Amigos. I've never noticed that. Yeah, you're right. It's basically a bunch of people from a Star Trek show that end up getting hired to go to space. It's the same plot. Yeah. Not as funny, but it seems that seems to be well regarded. And I just, I don't know. I don't know what this campaign for the Free Amigos is. I, I, I no, I'm, I'm glad I've given you this platform, but uh, speak your truth. I, I didn't realize I wanted this platform, but I've, I've, I've said it now. And, um, there we go. Yeah. I'm glad I, yeah. It's funny. It's funny to realize the things that have been bugging you, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you have a new short film about freelancing. 
Yes. Which I guess sort of culminates, you know, a lot of the things that we've spoken about uh, are kind of dealt with. Oh, the section about asking what your rate is, is scarily true. I realized that I don't know how to navigate. I still don't really know how to navigate those conversations. Um, No. You know, Kubrick employed a, he had an assistant who no one would ever meet. And he would just set him to call a studio or even down to the point where Kubrick would go to video stores. And if um, his films weren't displayed correctly or if the cardboard cutouts looked bad or the posters had a weak print, mm. he would, he'd have a guy who would just call up and just bollock the fuck out of them. Oh, really? Until they got it Right. And no one ever knew who this person was. They just knew it was a guy with an English accent. And they were all just terrified. It wasn't him himself. No, it, it, it was this guy, Leon Vitelli, who was in Barry Lyndon as one of the actors who then expressed an interest in Kubrick's craft and he took him in as a mentor. But one of the things Leon did was just like bollock the hell out of anyone who fucked up or kind of fight those ugly battles ugly and petty battles that he wanted so i've always thought i want to be rich enough just to have an assistant with a really good voice who would just be real karen and just call up and be like where's my invoice or we're not doing this we want three cans of dr pepper on ice for when we come to the screening tonight make it happen all the events off and yeah just all those reasonable and unreasonable demands that you just want but you got to be Stanley Kubrick first, really, to get to that level. Totally. Or like Hugh Grant has. Uh, did, didn't Hugh Grant used to put on an accent for to when he didn't have an agent and would just say like, "Yeah, he doesn't want to come to this award show. He doesn't want to take this role. He doesn't want to do this interview. What does want to do this red carpet?" I can see Hugh Grant doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could do it for each other. Maybe because it is always better when you have a bit of distance. It gets yeah. personal when it's when you're trying to do it, when you're negotiating for yourself. Like it's in the film. It's like it's always like you have to weigh up: is it worth doing things for the exposure? Is it worth? It, will it lead to something else? It, it, no, it, but you said it best when you have that really sad line where you say like, "Man, I'm in my forties now." Yeah, there has to be a cutoff point where you're like, "Yeah." I'm I'm too I'm, I'm fucking too old for exposure. I just want the check. God damn it! Yeah, I mean, it's been been, you know, it's been exposure leading to exposure for like that's all it. Yeah, like circle where it's like okay, well, all all I'm getting is a reputation for doing things for free. <laughs> <laughs> that's your trademark. That's your signature. Yeah, um, but no, it's like it. I mean, as a film, it's, um, it's weird because I wrote it and I'm in it and that was weird to be in it because um, I've never done any acting before and I was playing myself, which should be easy. But when you haven't, that, like, it's just like the <laughs> idea of saying the words I've written was odd to me. And we got like a really good cast that I couldn't believe actually agreed to do it. Mm-hmm. Also sort of like, you know, put like all... It's like in the background, all the artworks in there, everything's yeah. 
in there. Yeah, you're already plugging it. Yeah, you're, it's definitely sponsored by Babs. Yeah. <laughs> the music has been sitting at my brother's studio for, for months because we started doing that in um, lockdown times. And so, like, basically made use of everything. It's a, yeah, in, in some ways, it's like a giant CV. Yeah. Like narrative CV, but, but it all ties in and also covers a lot of this, like, what life is like when you don't know exactly what you're doing, but you're doing it. That's the weird thing. You're doing it all the time. Yeah. My favorite thing you said on the project once it was when you were shooting it you realized i've written it myself i'm in it but i haven't given given myself any good lines well yeah well what i realized i was really gonna be in it i i, I wouldn't say that yeah i mean i <laughs> i basically had to do it, it like, seems like the most ultimate thing for you to do is to cast yourself in it but forget to give yourself really good comic lines I wasn't sure I'd be able to pull them off. So I could. <laughs> if you write them, I think you can deliver them. It's, uh, well, next time. Because, I mean, it's such a relief that it's sort of like now out on, I guess it's it's on, I don't know, streaming on Vimeo at the moment. It's um, until people have seen it and it's real. It's just kind of like this thing that could, I don't know. It was like, I, I, I didn't know. Um but I, at the time, I think I wrote what I, I... I mean, I wrote it kind of roughly knowing who's going to be playing parts and, and how to... It's, it's that straight man. Is it a straight man thing? It's that thing where it's like, I'm just a character that things yeah. happen to. So I don't have to do too much. And I mean, but that, that, this is because it was the first one. If they let me have another go, first scene... Then, it, then it's Will Ferrell time for Babs, yeah. I'll be naked. I'll be I'll be screaming my head off. Um, I'll put it all in. Front load it. <laughs> but baby steps. I've got your film ideas book, and I said we should try and because this is a movie podcast, we should try and get some of these film ideas off the ground. Yeah, and I've I, and- I, I did I did make some. I, I have got some suggestions. Okay. Um, I guess in context, like yeah, I, I I made a lot of the artwork is elevator pitches for movies that I've actually started writing one of them. Really? What yeah. one? Don't tell me. I I always wanted to make Pope Ninja. Which one have you? Are you started? I left that one for you. I, yeah. I, I started writing Clip Clop. It's um the tap tap dancing thriller. Yeah. Any I- directors in mind? You. Oh, that's would that. want to take lunches with. This is the one I. This is the one where I went arrogant for. Oh, if I can get funding, I would quite like to make this short myself. Right. Um. But so I haven't thought of directors for that one. I did put some. I did put some ideas down for other other pitches. Okay, me too. But we didn't discuss if we picked the same ones. But then I guess we could see if um. We can put the offer out to both directors, and then we'll start a bidding war. Okay. So, standard bastard. Oh, yeah. Jason Statham punches people in the head in the street. So, I'm thinking Nick Love, the director of Football Factory and the business. Oh, yeah. And maybe bring Danny Dyer back. Bring the Tasty Geezer, Lads Mag, 
UK thriller back. I never watched any of those, but it's literally those two words. Tasty Geezer. Yeah. Tasty <laughs> Geezer sounds like the sequel to Standard Bastard. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That, that, I'm seeing the franchise, Standard Bastard, part two, Tasty Geezer. Yeah. And then part three, just Standard Bastard. It's all going to fucking kick off. Yeah. There we go. That's... Uh, I mean, I, I can already see I it. Mean, I mean, the the... The cinematic universe is where we need to be going right now. We've got to be thinking on that Marvel kind of level of... Oh, like franchise thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's why I've... Because I was going to... Let me see if I've got anything franchise here. I have... I, I picked that... The, um, I, there's not much of a pitch for this one because it's just... Um, it's Free Blind Mice, but as a Pixar movie. Yeah. They always do the depressing... I mean, I guess it is a franchise because they could do Full Blind Mice... And five blind mice. They could just keep being more blind mice. As the, yeah, then we pivot to fucking rats. And and it's just uh, the rodent universe. Yeah, they grow up. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 Maybe we got hamsters. We got gerbils. Guinea pigs. Free blind guinea pigs. Get all the merch up, pets for home and stuff. And Yeah. I'm not familiar with the directors of animated for me. Like, I don't know who does the Pixar movies. I know there's that guy Bird, the one who used to be ex of the Simpsons, um, who did the Incredibles. I know it feels more about the studio, doesn't it, for the animated movies and the Brad Bird. That's who I was thinking of. He did the Invincibles. Yeah. No, the Incredibles. Incredibles. There's this one called Balls Up. It's it's a newer one that it's, I think I only put it on Instagram recently. But Balls Up. A routine testicular check becomes more than Jason Statham bargained for when he realizes they are not his testicles. Okay, so we've we've got a lead attached already. Uh, I, I've realized I've written Jason Statham, but I've. I've are we open? Because I've written here in my notes, "Face off the testicles" as a tagline. Or you thinking a, more Nick Cage? I, I've written DeVito and Schwarzenegger to. to oh. To, like a twins, like get twins them. reboot. Twins, well, it's it's not twins, but it's like when 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 the cast come back, just in a completely different movie. All I right, didn't to think too hard about their testicles, I was like, who's going to be as different as possible? Like, um, and I've written Gaspar No for director, just because <laughs> I know you like him. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> that was. Oh shit! So I got friends with benefits, two people in job seekers allowance, arranged to have sex. Yeah. What are you thinking, Ken Loach? I did think Ken Loach because it's the obvious. It's, it's kind of the obvious way to go. Yeah. Right. It's like it's got a sort of Paul Mescal vibe to. Oh, it. I see. Kind of more like a normal people kind of vibe. It's feeling like that at the moment. Yeah. If we're going Ken Loach, I guess we're going Paul Mescal. Yeah. And not my first rodeo. A cowboy goes in his second rodeo. Yeah. I'm thinking Taylor Sheridan. I'm thinking Yellowstone. I've never seen Yellowstone. I'm thinking Nick Cave, Warren Ellis doing the music. Oh, yeah. Kind of Southern Gothic vibes. I mean, it was a, it was quite a mic drop day when I when I wrote that like made that print but um in terms of what that second rodeo is all about i i i've never put much thought into it we don't have to 
And what about roast? Oh, roast. I, I, I'd written, I, I went two ways on this. It was like Mike. I had Michael Bay. I had Michael Bay. Oh, done. Who else have you got? Lars von Trier. <laughs> Just because I thought, because I guess we've got to put these in context. It's like roast is about. Um, Terrorist strike just as Jason Statham puts a chicken in the oven. Now he's got one hour, 20 minutes resting time to clean up, to clean things up. So, so as, as a construct, you've got a time, you've got a time limit. You could have running down the bottom of the screen. Cause there's a, like a run, Lola run race yeah, against the clock. There's a chicken in the oven. Although it's like, I guess it's an hour. And then you've got that weird 20 minutes. It's that bit like in speed when the bus bits happen, then you think it's over, but then you've got another 20 minutes where it's actually on a train. No, but we've got the resting time, which is just as important because all the juices need to go back into the bird. Yeah, but I guess he has to get back after an hour to get it out of the... It can't rest... I guess it can... If the oven's set on timer, I never set the oven on timer. I just turn it off. The oven's set on timer. It can just rest in the oven, right? That can be, we, we can use that plot device if we need to. We can go both ways. You can get back in an hour and then you've got that kind of classic... I did always think final climb. Showdown's so down, so in the house, and he's got to protect his family because he's come back for the right. So yeah, yeah. But I'm saying if we if we have that final twenty minutes, then we have that time for that final battle. Yeah. So we can think it's done, and then we've got the no way. And then by the, the chicken's out of the oven, but it's the not day right. isn't saved. Yeah, yeah. Maybe his wife's in the oven. Well, that's quite sad. Maybe he's got to take take his wife out of the oven in twenty minutes. Yeah, little plot twist. Yeah, the chicken's out of the oven, but your family isn't. Your kids in the arga. I guess it's not very. It's not a very dogma thing, is it? But it's like I thought if it's if we're sticking to a strict time thing, it's like one of those directors that used to work with um, the restraints and disciplines. Exactly. Um, Then I had I had uh, there's one called strangers that never met about two people that never meet it's very it's very arty and i've just written sliding doors without doors and i thought maybe andrew bajalski could do it with um i've written taylor swift and vincent gallo but what's happened to vincent gallo so from people who know him apparently absolutely loaded has loads of properties doesn't really need to do anything he but he has said if i need to make money i'll just sell some art and it'll be gone and he's sorted right but he's got a lot a lot of great houses a lot of um i think i think i forget the name of uh designer it's the rainbow house in la the one that's kind of shaped like a, in a like a half rainbow okay i know he i know he bought that and that goes for redonkulous money Die Hard in a Zoo. I mean, just imagine that. 
Yeah, I don't think there's much more that needed to happen with that. They made five diehards and they never went to the zoo. No. And like... Like diehard in Brooklyn Zoo or London Zoo? I mean, they could do all the zoos. <laughs> all the zoos. Another, all right, we've got another franchise. First one, Die- just, I never understood why, like, Die Hard 1's perfect. Yeah. Again, with the constraints and, you know, it's one building, it's one man, he's got no shoes on. It's perfect. Die Hard 2 already is a bit, like, a bit too, it's almost like, oh, they've, it's lost. An the- airport's a good location for a... Yeah, I suppose, but it, it already, it was already, like, I guess, to me, like, almost like, there's too many people. But there's yeah. an amazing clip that I, I've once, I don't know where it is, I put it on Instagram when I was watching it, where when some henchmen are running through, like, to attack the airport, somebody gets caught, like, on a sort of sting metal, and you hear him just go, ow, and it's on the film. And I, I'm going to have... That's the cops. That's the cops coming into the building to show yeah. that their wimps are not going to be able to... Oh, that's that's on purpose. because it's just... They're trying to show how weak and unprepared the... SWAT team are to take on this bunch of tough criminals. If you take that five seconds out of context, it's incredibly funny. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, but Die Hard Three is quite good. I don't like Die Hard Three. Well, the start's good. It's quite. I, I, yeah, it just feels too different than the other. Suddenly, it's got a riddle. It's like got a riddler. Yeah, I I, I just like that old school, high concept. One location, you got to shoot your way out. Time crunch kind of stakes as high. Die Hard in the Zoo goes back to that classic concept. Yeah, it's it's back, but there's a, but there's something different. Animals. Yeah, the human aspect is the same. I don't know how they didn't go. And it's like you could still take his kids to the zoo. He, he didn't have to meet his kids when he was like twenty five and all muscly in Russia or whatever happens in five. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, we got back together. Family day out, go, or he's got the kids for the day. Check this out. It wouldn't have been Die Hard 2. It would have been Die Hard Zoo. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, that was good, right? Yeah, apart from the fact you you, you did the double finger points and the click, that was... If we take that out of the meetings with 20th Century Fox, we've got it. That's my only note. No finger points and clicks. You, you saw me work something out in real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we can refine that for the... When I say it to them, I'll have... Guys, I, it's not Die Hard 2, it's Die Hard in a Zoo. Right, check, please. I wish I hadn't written on the artwork. I wish I hadn't written Die Hard in a Zoo. You don't need inner. Why have it's I... It's Die Hard Zoo. Die Hard Zoo. There we go. And Quack Attack, when a canal drug heist goes wrong, a duck's life spirals out of control. Are we thinking like Rec Room for a Dream Aronofsky? Or are we thinking more like Top Boy with Ducks? I suppose if we do Top Boy with Ducks, we can keep it in the Hackney Canal area. And there was always that line that David Lynch said something. I can't remember it, but there was something about seeing things through the eyes of a duck. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Well, are you thinking like Duck POV for the whole movie? This is another Gaspar No one, isn't it? Quack Cam. It's like a, it's a high duck just through the eyes of a high duck. And and you're not explained that until the end, but you go, oh yeah, that you, that whole film was. We're even in like slow pan out of the water and we see the duck's reflection of the duck we see through the duck. Yeah. I haven't thought, I haven't thought this through. Um, no, what about the duck strung out 
in in Hackney, trying to get through the day. Yeah, I mean, this it's like that it, bit of bread ain't doing it for me. I I I need a I need a score because it could just follow it could just follow up and down the canal and just meet other people. There's enough adventure. It could almost stray into the sort of there's that Iranian film. I think it's called White Balloon or the Red Balloon or. Do you know the film where there's like this little girl's been given some money to go and buy the the fish for the New Year's celebrations and it falls down the drain and the whole film is just different people coming to help her get the money out the drain. And it's yeah, that's the white balloon. That's Jafar Panahi. Yeah, so I'm now thinking a bit like a druggy version of that with a duck. Okay, love that film. That I love that film. That's whose name I don't know. The white balloon. Yeah, the white the white balloon with ducks. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And I've got one here, but I'm just going to throw out there because I, it's like a, as as musical thriller, because I don't think musical thrillers exist, called Mic Drop, where like a, a stag do or a hen do gets taken over by terrorists and they have to sing their way out. I haven't worked out exactly why. Singing for survival or singing to... Singing for survival, but I don't know why. <laughs> no, again, that's not a job. Oh, is that, that's what the writers. All you have to do, because if that's the case, I've we got... will attach some talent, put a director to it, punch it up a little bit. Okay. Who are you thinking? Well, I've written. I'd written initially. I'd written Jack Black and Hugh Jackman because I know they like singing. But then I also put Jenny Slate, Greta Gerwig, Scarlett Johansson, and Kirsten Dunst. Can they all sing? Don't know. I thought maybe it would be fun if some of them couldn't. You can't all be good at singing. It's a karaoke. No, no. You need, you need, you need a few people. You need a few shock deaths along yeah. the way, I guess. It, so. it would be funny if everyone was bad, but also I figured if the, the bad guys also can sing, it could be a stag do. Somebody might want to get back with the person who's getting married and it might. But yeah, I don't know. Okay, great. I think we've got a lot of pitches to bring to our next Hollywood meetings. Yeah, maybe too, maybe too many. We can never have enough. We'll just shop them around town. We'll just book a trip to Hollywood and just start taking meetings. Yep. If it's that simple, then let's go. How hard can it be? Well, it's not hard to book the flight. No, we'll just go straight to A24 from, I think the duck one especially, Quack, Quack Attack. Yeah. That Bring that Safety's energy, but with ducks. Cool. This has been good. We got 90 minutes in the can. Fifteen of which are you sorting your mic out. So by the end it'll be a hard hour. Perfect. Yeah. I mean and hard is probably the right word, right? Hard lesson, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. No, this has been a blast. Putting up with me. You will be sandwiched between Andrew Bajowski and Gregoraki. So you're in good company. Again, that imposter syndrome really kicking in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to keep that energy and spirit up to keep on uh, yeah. creating these film ideas and neon signs. That's what I'll do. This has been really fun. Cool. I'll see you soon. Yeah, it's been fun talking. Yeah, take care, man. Cool, buddy. Bye. That is me and Bobak Ganji.
check out his art, check out his Instagram, check out his short film. He's great. And all you industry people out there, if you're interested in any of the pitches, please shoot us a mail. We'll take lunch. Okay, that's it from me. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Joshua Eustace, a.k.a. Telephone Tel Aviv, for our beautiful music. And we'll speak soon.